from the vault. High atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Talking Catholic, the official podcast of the Camden Diocese. This is your Talking Catholic co-host, Mary McCusker, and just like the past several podcasts, I'm joining from the comfort of my apartment since we are still under quarantine. And of course, I'm joined by Mike Walsh, the Director of Communications for the Diocese, who's joining us from his home. And I cannot believe I'm about to say this, Mike, but um, I'm actually starting to miss the vault. <laughs> I have complained about the vault so many times on this podcast, but for our listeners, it's where we used to record these podcasts at mm-hmm. the Pastoral Center. It's a the tiniest room imaginable, no windows, no doors, and uh, Mike recently painted it the worst shade of yellow imaginable, <laughs> but I actually am starting to miss it. Well, okay, so you got a couple things wrong there. There are no windows, but there is at least one door because you have to get into it, and that uh, door happens to be a bank vault door, so you can't, you, I'm surprised you've forgotten that part, and it has that nice, like, loud- The scariest door ever. Yeah, when it closes shut, and you hear that thud, and then the twang of the, of the iron bars coming across. I think what you really miss is human contact, because um, I was counting it up in my head the other day. Now, I have the benefit of live streaming all of the diocesan retreat uh, uh, stuff we put up on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter every night. Um, but I think I'm at about 20 people. In the last two months, I think I've been in contact with about 20 people. Always, you know, That's socially too much. Socially had, I'm at about two. Yeah, That's well, a lot. Well, okay, that's true. But I, you have had the benefit of being able to stay in your apartment. I've had to be running around all of South Jersey, bringing the Catholic Church to the people via via the internet. It's been uh, the only thing. I, I wish I had the abil- uh, godlike abilities to do that without leaving my home. But unfortunately, uh, we actually have to cart all this uh, camera equipment and John Kalitz and wires and more of John Kalitz to uh, to all these different locations. And uh, I do give you guys credit for all the the virtual stuff you've been doing. It has been impressive. Yeah, it's and it's been the retreats, everything. I think it has done a good job of uh, keeping me from going crazy, um, being able to to get out a little bit. And I I I absolutely accept the fact that I'm blessed in the sense that um, because we're live streaming a lot of masses, I do actually get to be there in the room while the masses are going on. So I I I have been blessed in that regard when when a lot of other people are being kept away. But it's. Um, it's, you know, it's just as painful. But, you know, the thing that's really impressed me with all this live stream stuff we're doing is um, how many people pray along and move along. Like, so when the masses go, you know, at the sign of peace, everybody that's watching in real time is wishing everybody else that's watching uh, peace by writing it into the comments. And, you know, they're saying the amens and the and the responses at the right times. And it's, and I'm imagining in I've my head, they're kneeling too, and standing yeah. and sitting at all the right spots. And uh, but it's a and it's a lot like so we're averaging uh, like 800 viewers um, across the last six weeks, seven weeks that we've been doing these. And it's and it stayed more consistent. We what we found was that on our diocesan social media accounts, the our our YouTube account went from less than 100 subscribers to over a thousand. Our Facebook wow. went from uh, 3500 to 5200. And our Twitter account, the Twitter accounts have always been hefty. So that's at like 2,500, I think, at this point. But we actually had to uh, move on to Periscope to be able to send our videos directly to Twitter. 
So we went from zero to 100 there. And uh, our Instagram is almost at a thousand now. So people, wow, a nice humble brag there. Yeah, well, Mike. it's no, no, it wasn't. To, well, I mean, yes, I'm awesome. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but um, it had nothing to do with me, though. It has to do with everyone wants to see where the, what the bishops up to and all the all the content we're providing. I'm mostly yeah. behind the scenes. Um, but what's impressed me about that is not so much that our numbers have grown for the sake of our numbers of growing. It's the fact that people right away have made that jump from in person to to the digital world in a way yeah. that I never anticipated. I would have thought it was going to be begrudgingly doing it. And from what I can tell, the people that have jumped on have done it like joyously. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong. Nobody wants to be doing these things live stream. Everybody wants to be in person. Bishop wants to be in person. Right. Everybody we've had on, on the, the uh, live stream events have wanted to be in person, but it's, it's tough. It's difficult. And, uh, even in these times, though, people are coming in to, to do all this stuff. So I just love it. Oh, and by the way, we're going through the middle of a uh, windstorm right now, and I just realized that all of my, the electric went out in the house. However, my laptop is battery-powered, and my uh, other thing is battery-powered. But you know what's not battery-powered? The internet connection. Okay, listeners, if you notice anything different in the, in the sound quality, uh, that's because we just had a little bit of a hiccup in our recording while, uh, while I was going on and on about how great uh, it's been the move to virtual um, masses and, and Easter retreats have been in terms of the, the smoothness of it. Uh, my internet went out. So that's certainly something that, uh, believe it or not, we have faced in all these live streams we've done. We've lost internet twice that required us to... Just keep things going, firing it up later, and then uh, having a part one and a part two of some of the episodes of the Easter retreats, retreats we've done. So, dear listeners, I'm so happy that we could uh, make you a part of this experience as well when sometimes the, the internet goes out. But I'm now using all my battery backpacks or backups, so we should be good for the rest of the broadcast. And I don't like defending Mike, but in all fairness, as we record this, uh, the wind is very, very strong, so... Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a nasty, nasty day outside, although this is usually one of my favorite kind of days, and it is uh, surprisingly warm outside, so it tells me that, you know, May will come and things will be better and warmer and sunnier at some point. So anyway. It's surprisingly uh, optimistic of you, but <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I'm trying, trying to find it wherever I can nowadays. But Mary, mm -hmm. this is not just about me and you today. We, no. have, we have a guest that I've wanted to have on the podcast for a very long time and that you've been promising to get on the pr podcast for like a year and just was never able to make it happen. So That's finally, an exaggeration, but not even close. It's, we're, we have on we're having on the podcast today one of the true renaissance men of the of the Camden Diocese. And I, I'm I can't I love it when he's in meetings. He he his smile brightens a room. I'm just so excited that he's part of the podcast today. It's true. And he's actually my my work neighbor. His office is just a few feet away from from my workspace. So I do miss popping in saying hello. All this build up, though. <laughs> so who is with us, by um, the way? We are welcoming James Reynolds. I call Jamie. I hope that's OK. And he is the executive director of the Diocesan Housing Services Corporation of the Diocese of Camden. That was a mouthful, but welcome, Jamie. Did I butcher your title at all? No, that, that's 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 all good. That's all good, <laughs> and, and you know we'll call it DHSC uh, to, to 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 keep it short. Um, Acronyms are always easier. 
Thank you for having me on. Now that I've uh, you know turned four shades of red, Mike, I'm glad you're not <laughs> recording the video aspect of this, and you're only doing the audio. Uh, but it's it's very nice to be with you today. That's that's what's so nice. We've had we've had one of your other sweet mates on a few times, Mr. Kevin Hickey, and that's the nice thing of the, the difference between Jamie and Kevin Hickey being right next to each other is, you know, Jamie is such a ray of sunshine, and Mr. Hickey is, well, Mr. Hickey is Mr. Hickey, but but no, Jamie, don't go bashing. My oh, other I'm not. Oh, here. please. I was on a call with him earlier today, and I got whacked. It's a it's okay. <laughs> the uh, so Jamie. Jamie, you know, you you are one of the I don't I wouldn't refer to it as a hidden gem, but it's definitely one of the gems of the diocese is is the corporation, uh, the housing corporation. Um, but I'm not sure that it's, it's actually gotten its just desserts in terms of how we promote it um, beyond the the corporation itself. So I'm I'm curious, can you tell our listeners what the what the housing corporation does? Sure, sure, sure. So um, over the course of the last forty years, the diocese has amassed. Um, uh, a decent sized portfolio of affordable housing um, throughout the diocese. So we're up to almost 800 units uh, of mostly senior housing. And uh, we operate buildings from Pensauken and Cherry Hill all the way down to Cape May um, with a stop in Pleasantville. Uh, and uh, you know we're continually, continually looking to do new projects to expand the portfolio to serve you know, the diocese's low and moderate income uh, residents. Uh, and so that is our, that is our basic mission. Um, again, most of our buildings are, uh, are senior buildings. We do have one, uh, one family site also uh, that has about 55 units. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so it's, it's a, it's a great honor to, uh, you know, serve seniors in the, in the diocese. And uh, it's a particularly interesting and challenging time to do it right now. Yeah. And how long have you been with the diocese now, Jamie? It's pushing four years, if you can believe that. Oh, my that. goodness. I can't uh, believe yeah, that. Yeah. So December will be four years. Wow. Uh, so three, about three and a half years. Now. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does like an average day in the life of Jamie look like? I know now it's with the quarantine, it's probably a little more complicated, but... Um, well, so it's interesting. I mean, I think the, you know, prior to prior to the quarantine and, and sort of COVID times, as we're calling them in our yes. household, <laughs> um, uh, you know, most of my time is spent, it, it's, it's sort of split. Um, one is sort of overseeing the, the operation of the portfolio, but we have a really strong property management and maintenance team. Uh, and so uh, fortunately, I only get sucked in uh you know, when there are bigger problems or when there are, you know, larger financial decisions or budgeting decisions to be made. And so, so it's nice to be able to, you know, work at kind of a, you know, high level there. Um, and then most of the rest of my time is spent trying to, you know, pursue new projects uh, and develop uh, new facilities uh, to expand our reach uh, in the diocese. Um, and then we also, you know, we've also spent considerable time, or I also spent considerable time working on projects to, uh, some of our, some of our properties are quite old. Uh, so, uh, figuring out ways to refinance those and, uh, get them, you know, kind of refurbished and up to speed, uh, up to more modern standards. So for example, uh, we just completed last year, the renovation of Victorian Towers, uh, down in Cape May, that's a 204 unit a senior building right in the heart of Cape May uh, that was developed originally by the diocese back in the early 1970s. Uh, and it hadn't seen a, 
a real makeover in about 40 years. Uh, yeah. So we, we successfully uh, figured out a way to refinance it and invested about 10 or $12 million in, uh, in really upgrading all the public areas in the building, doing, you know, rehabilitating some of the units that hadn't been touched um, in a long time. Uh, we we re reskinned the building, which is great because it was sort of an early '70s McDonald's era architecture. <laughs> uh, you know, yellow brick. Um, Sounds like the inside of the vault where we used to record. <laughs> hey, sure, they you know. know it's a style, right? <laughs> you know, it's funny. When I was a kid, I used to go down to Cape May and I would see this structure there all the time, and I never knew what it was. Um, you know, it's right on Washington Ave. Anybody who's been to Cape May or you're not familiar with it, it's it's the main sort of walking thoroughfare of um, of Cape May, and it empties into this intersection. And on the other side of the intersection is uh, this this giant building what probably one of the biggest buildings in Cape May is a short of Congress Hall and yeah I, I believe you nailed it this McDonald's era 1970s McDonald's era look to it but now you know you know buildings in Cape May and that particularly in that area have to there's all this code and everything so that they, it keeps this sort of Victorian look it really does now look like an appropriate I'm not saying it's Victorian necessarily in its look but as close as you can get to Victorian while still build, being a senior housing area yeah yeah I mean it, you know it, it's it's hard to make a six-story building you know uh, feel feel Victorian, but we managed to, I think, uh, you know, scale down the imposing nature of it. Uh, and uh, I'll give our architects a lot of credit for, you know, coming up with a plan that, you know, involved putting, you know, lap siding on it and, um, and then breaking that up with some vertical elements. So it really is very attractive now. And I think, you know, for most, uh, most of Cape May and the public officials, for sure, uh, everybody's pretty happy with, uh, with how it turned out. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, yeah. Now it just has to withstand all these crazy windstorms. Yes. Um, uh, well, it's been there 40 years. Power there, Mike, that doesn't go out in the middle of a recording. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I've yeah. tried these units before at two of the different properties. And I, Jamie, I have to say they are just, they are beautiful. I mean, the presence that the staff have there. They're so welcoming. Um, I had the chance to interview a few clients at one of the newer properties, and they always seem happy as can be. And they're, I said to one of them, I wish I could move into one of these places. <laughs> it's a perfect amount of space and just the building and inside. And it just, it's such a nice, welcoming vibe. That oh, you thank, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, we, it, our, our, our property managers and our, uh, we also have social service coordinators in each of the buildings. Um, they, they're just a remarkably uh, caring bunch, uh, first and foremost. And so uh, the the overall atmosphere in the buildings, you know, really is a reflection of, you know, kind of the care that they bring to uh, to the project. So we, we were fortunate when, um, when the diocese got out of the nursing home business, uh, we actually picked up uh, – you know, I think two or three um, folks from the nursing home uh, who came to work for us. And that that was really great, too, because they had a level of, I think, understanding of seniors um, that, you know, you don't necessarily get. And these were seasoned people who've been working 10, 15, 20 years, uh, you know, for the nursing homes. And so uh, it was an easy transition for them. Uh, and uh, we're the beneficiary of, of their expertise. So that's been great. Oh, 
And I've seen you interact with the seniors and they love you. <laughs> Their faces light up when you walk by. <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh. <laughs> See, um, well, you know, you it know. is, it's, you know, uh, another company I worked for several years ago, um, they were in the, uh, they, they, were purveyors of, of senior housing as well, and they had had a, a new structure built um, not long after I joined this this company. And you know, the thought that actually goes into these buildings in terms of making them accessible, not only accessible as good living spaces for for seniors, but really communal in nature um, so that you have these opportunities to get together. They're in areas where it's fairly easy to get to, you know, grocery stores or or um, shopping of some kind without too much of a trek. Um, and I, th I really do think that goes a long way, particularly for seniors and in, in making it a comfortable environment um, for them to, to to sort of exist in these in these years of their lives. You know, what kind of thought goes into that um, as you're developing these sites and or redeveloping these sites? So, yeah, so on the on the design end, I think we really try to create spaces within the building where natural interaction can occur, um, and which is sort of a bummer right now because, you know, we've got all these you know, attractive spaces for people to meet and socialize in and now they're being told wear masks and, you know, stand six feet apart and, you know, don't, don't linger. Um, but, um, and, and, and it, it's literally everything from, you know, in most of our buildings, we do communal laundries on each floor rather than putting uh, washers and dryers in the units. Um, Cause that helps people, you know, encourage them to get out of their units and just socialize with the people on their floor that they, that they see. Um, and then on each floor, we typically have um, some kind of community room. Um, on the upper floors, they tend to be smaller. They, they look more like libraries or living rooms. Um, uh, sometimes uh, there'll be computer facilities in them, but they're all designed to just, you know, allow people to get out of their units. And if they don't, you know, if they're feeling cooped up, they can go out and be in a public space, you know, be in a comfortable chair read, watch TV, you know, play games, um, you know, do puzzles, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, on the, on the ground floor, uh, we really try to invest in having attractive lobbies with real comfortable furniture. And then we always have a community room that we design in, a larger community room that can really almost accommodate, you know, most of the residents in the building at a, at a meeting uh, or at an event. Um, so that if they want to have a dinner or they want to have a, you know, a resident meeting uh, or they want to do an activity where, you know, 30 or 40 people want to come and participate, we have the space to do that. And typically there's, you know, kind of a modified kitchen, um, not a commercial kitchen, but some kind of, you know, kitchen attached to that. It'll have a fridge, you know, some, uh, you know, microwave ovens, other warming facilities, just so that people can, you know, when they have, you uh, resident organized or, or, or property organized group events, uh, they can get together and, you know, warm food and have a place to stage, you know, a meal as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and so all those features you know, really, really are helpful. And then similarly on the outside of the building, um, we try to have, uh, you know, attractive outdoor spaces so that during the, you know, the spring, summer and fall, uh, our residents have the ability to spend time outside. Um, and then we also, uh, in this day and age, smoking is becoming less and less common. Uh, all of our buildings are smoke free, uh, but, you know, 
truth be told, you're going to have some subset of residents who smoke. Uh, so we try to, at most of our sites, have gazebos that we sort of park out a little bit away from the building, but at least give folks a sheltered place to, to smoke. And again, they congregate out there. Um, and, you know, we, we do our best efforts to, to bring in smoking cessation programs and other things like that to keep people uh, or to discourage it. But, you know, reality is, is that, yeah. you know, sometimes you can't teach an old dog new trick um, <laughs> and, and folks are going to smoke. So, right. um, so we want to make sure we give them a safe place to do it. And, uh, so, so yeah, so all those, all those different discrete areas of the building kind of, you know, we think over quite a bit as we're, as we're developing a building uh, to make sure that, you know, we give places uh, for folks to congregate and socialize and, and, and an, in a number of different kind of areas, both indoor and out. See, Mike, doesn't this sound like a beautiful place to live? Don't you wish that you were old enough to, to move in? <laughs> well, I'm getting close. The, uh, <laughs> the just, I'm what, I'm like 30, 30 years away, maybe. Um, no, I, you know, I've, like I said, I've, I've been, a, I've visited family in, in facilities like this and, or homes like this, and, and I've seen them built. And actually that's exactly the thought that I had was that, oh, wow, this is like a, these are really like very cozy apartments, usually very uh, well located, um, where everything nearby to them, uh, is, is easy to access. And, um, you know, you know, there's a lot of folks who, you know, as, as they're getting older, they, they really start to think about, you know, where where they want to, you know, go to in, in their older years, um, where they'll still have a sense of community. And that sense of community is really, really important. Um, you know, on my wife's side of the family, um, her great-grandparents, gra- grandparents and great-grandparents, really refused to um, avail themselves of the opportunity of moving into to senior centers like these, and I really think it had a negative impact on them. Um, yeah. They they aged very quickly, and their and not not even just their final years, like the last ten years of their their lives, when they were even when they were still very active, were difficult because they just refused to 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 move out of these larger homes that were difficult to to, to have a lot of upkeep and a lot of negative things occurred because of that. Whereas, well, just just the presence of stairs, right? Yeah, like exactly. That, that is that that's the biggest challenge, I think, for people. You know, I, you know, I think, you know, for folks who want to stay in the home that they raise their kids in, it's totally understandable. Um, and you know, and so making that jump, I think, is can be really psychologically difficult. Uh, but I think that you know what you what you make up for in you know, losing that, you know, home of 40 years, you, what you make, you know, where you make up for it is all of a sudden, you know, you, you have a built-in group of people who are easy to make friends with, um, easy to socialize with. And I think what a lot of seniors have trouble realizing is, is that if you stay in your home for, you know, from the time you buy it until the time you die, um, you're going to have the distinct displeasure of in the last 10 or 15 years of your life, um, seeing an awful lot of the friends who you um, socialized with, you'll see them move away or pass away or both. Um, And that's, that's the natural course of things. But um, at a certain point, you realize, oh my gosh, I don't know anyone in my neighborhood anymore. 
um, because the housing's turned over, it's cycled. Um, and I, I'm, it's funny, I've, I'm listening to myself talk here and I'm really repeating my father's sort of mantra these days. He and my mom moved to a continuing care retirement community um, six or seven years ago um, and from a home that they had been in for 40 years. And the decision was made a little bit easier because my mom had Alzheimer's. And so they needed to be in a place where, you know, there was like a ramp for her as she got, you know, more and more disabled. Um, but and she passed away a, a little over a year ago. But my father is still there and lives in an independent living, you know, wing of the facility and loves the society of it, loves the, the fact that he's got people to hang out with, have meals with. Um, and that he doesn't have a yard that he needs to take care of mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, you know, other things like that that are, you know, burdening responsibilities. But by the same token, they have a huge resident garden, and whenever the spirit moves him to garden, he can be out there doing his thing, and, uh, and, you know, and, and he really enjoys it. And so he's, he's often, you know, to me and, and others, uh, touting the the benefits of at, at at some juncture, you know, making the jump to uh, you know a more collective kind of living arrangement, um, if for no other reason than to to get access to some of these kind of benefits. It's um, it's funny to so. hear you say that. My my grandfather uh, passed away uh, just uh, over a year ago, but he had made two attempts at at uh, uh, moving into senior housing. The first time he did it. Um, I don't think the place was a good fit for him. And even though it was a, it was a big, actually, it was an enormously large residence that he was in, um, and a room that he had to himself. He just, it, it, his uh, wife had died, my grandmother had died, a few years earlier, and he was like, you know what, I just don't feel like, the, like it's time here yet. I'm, I'm going to move back because he hadn't sold his house. He moved back into his house. A few years later, his health started to, to to falter just a little bit. He was still very mobile, but he 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 got to the point where he was he was finally worried that something might happen to me in the middle of the night, and it would be good if there was a button I could push and have somebody come and and give me a hand. But what was really the kicker for him was now he he passed at the age of ninety three. Um, wow. Five years prior to to that is when he moved into this facility. Uh, the kicker for him was when they found out that, yes, he could, in fact, park his Corvette in the parking lot. Um, and and once he heard that, he was like, oh, oh, OK, I'll move in. That'll be fine. Because <laughs> he drove that thing. About that. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was the best thing. But that really is. But it's true. It's it's finding that balance of bringing something with you and realizing that this is that you're going into a place where you're going to be. All those experiences you loved in your youth, like you said before, uh, Jamie, are are kind of fleeting as as we get older, um, particularly a lot older. Um, But they can they can still be there. And you have this sense of community. It's, you know, you were talking about the the folks that that work there and and help the residents sort of um, interact and, and get comfortable and find services if they need services. You know, that's another thing that you're not typically going to be able to find in your old home, in your own home, that sort of immediate access to someone to give you a hand. Yeah. And, and, and particularly for folks who are lower income, um, the great thing about our social service coordinators is that, you know, there are lots of services that people are eligible for, um, you know, but they're not terribly good at, you know, figuring out how to access them. And so this just, you know, reduces the amount of friction um, and the difficulty uh, and helps people get access to things that, you know, they need. And, and whether that's, you know, something as simple as like 
you know, meals, um, like meals on wheels or, you know, other kinds of, of regular nutrition support um, to, you know, more complex medical services. The great thing about the diocese is, is that between and, and being affiliated uh, with and, and a part of the, the broader diocesan structure is that we have access to Catholic charities and the services that Catholic charities provides. So for, you know, people with veter, you know, for veterans, there's you know, tons of, tons of services available. Um, people also experiencing mental health issues, people experiencing uh, other kinds of, uh, other kinds of problems. We can get access to assistance through Catholic charities really easily. Um, it's really just a matter of, I love life. when that overlap happens. That always yeah. my heart. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. And, um, and then on top of that, you know, because the, the diocese has vitality Catholic healthcare services, um, we're able to then connect our residents with kind of like a, a guide uh, effectively, the wellness nurses that work for, for, for vitality are just great help in uh, shepherding people through the healthcare system, helping them navigate, you know, various kinds of doctors, various kinds of services, and also helping them access services that they might not know they qualify for. Um, And so New Jersey has a really robust um, set of services available to seniors as they start to uh, decline. And, but when you're in that decline, you know, what are the chances that you're going to advocate for yourself to do that? But if you're, if you're in a place where you have experienced people who understand how the system works, they can plug you right in um, and, and get you moving. And so Vitality is particularly good at that. Um, and we use them all the time uh, to help residents as they get a little bit more frail access services at home. Um, and that helps those residents then age in place um, in a way that they probably couldn't have even 20 or 30 years ago, um, because now they can get access to home health aides, they can get access to, you know, licensed practical nurses, they can get access to food supports, they can get access to help with housekeeping. Um, And so, you know, when you gather, and if you think about that, bringing those services in from outside is way, way cheaper than having a person go into an assisted living facility or go into a nursing home. Um, and so this also really helps, you know, relieve the burden kind of on the public, uh, you know, the public fisc uh, in the sense that, you know, it costs, you know, maybe 20 percent of uh, to do to do that uh, than what it costs for someone to stay in a nursing home or an assisted living facility. Um, so, so there really are some some good social benefits to all of us um, by having you know, a rich service environment for, for seniors uh, in, these, in, these, uh, yeah. in these buildings. You know, it occurs to me that uh, we talked a little bit about the, uh, the, si- the, the nature of the facilities themselves, the, the larger picture, but uh, what are the rooms like? Uh, is, it, is it single? Is it double? Is it, uh, and- so, so, so typically, it, the older, so there's been a, a change in, I, I would say, the federal government's outlook on how seniors should live uh, and, and, and what affordable housing should look like. So back in the 70s and 80s and even into the 90s, um, it was not atypical to have studio apartments and one-bedroom apartments being the, the primary kinds of apartments. And so there, there's still you know, plenty of room, um, but 
Um, the trend now is, you know, really one bedroom apartments um, and then a smattering of twos. So because our portfolio was developed over the course of 40 years, you'll see like in a, in a place like Victorian Towers down in Cape May, think of the 204 apartments, I believe 124 are studios and 80 are one bedrooms. Um, and then similarly, at one of our properties in Cherry Hill that was developed in the early 80s, um, you have a similar mix of, of ones and studios. Um, but in the buildings that have been developed in the last 15 or 20 years, um, all of those are pretty much one bedrooms. Um, and, uh, and our newest building has, I think it's, uh, we, we just opened a new building in Pensacon and we have 68 units. Uh, we have 63 one bedrooms and five two bedroom units. The two bedroom units are particularly useful for people who have live-in aids. And so we actually, when we were leasing up this new building, we set aside the two bedroom units, not for you know couples, but rather for uh, folks who were coming in who had a live-in uh, aid, whether it be a family member or a, you know, a third party who was living with them and helping them uh, with their activities of daily living. Uh, and that worked out really well. Those, all five of those units uh, were used for that purpose. And so, uh, so yeah, so it's, uh, so, so, and a typical one bedroom is, you know, 700 uh, to 800 square feet. Um, so it's a good size unit. Um, and, you know, bedrooms usually, you know, 12 by 12, um, uh, you know, large kitchen uh, that leads into a living dining area. Um, and then, you know, with today's standards, for handicapped accessibility for, um, you know, for bathrooms, um, you know, modern bathrooms are really large. Um, so uh, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, you walk into the bathroom in our, our latest building and you'd say, oh my gosh, this is bigger than my bathroom at home. Uh, especially if you have a house that was built in, you know, the early 1900s or the 1800s, late 1800s, you're kind of chuckling. You're like, holy cow, <laughs> I want this bathroom. <laughs> um, Jamie, you, you're so knowledgeable with, you know, everything that goes into housing and all of this, but I'm curious how you ended up in this role because I know you are a lawyer. And by the way, Mike doesn't like lawyers. Ask him about his his past experience if, working with lawyers. But <laughs> In my defense, it's not so much that I don't like lawyers. It's just that I don't want anybody to become a lawyer. It's a completely different perspective. <laughs> mindful of who our guest is now. Fair enough. Fair no, no, enough. he's already a lawyer. He's already been tainted. I can't do anything about him now. But Exactly. He, he, he can't purify me at this point. I'm, I'm, I'm just stained. Anyway... <laughs> Um, so how did I come to this? So I, I worked in, at a college, I worked in housing and community development for six or seven years in, in Camden, actually. Um, I ran a little credit union, um, then I was involved in city government for a while. Um, and after doing that for, uh, for about six years, I decided, you know, I needed to further my education. So I decided to go to law school. Uh, so I stayed local and went to Rutgers. Um, and after Rutgers, I knew that I probably wanted to stay in the, you know, housing community development field, but I had the opportunity to go work for a really big law firm in Philadelphia. Um, and I thought, Hey, I should at least check that box, uh, and, and do that. So I, I did that for a couple of years, um, knowing full well that it wasn't likely going to take, 
Um, and it didn't. So um, um, I, I had good success. I enjoyed it. Sold, but, I see. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so, so then, uh, so I decided I wanted to, you know, get back into doing, uh, you know, uh, housing and community development work. And I had the opportunity to go to work for the housing finance agency for the state. Um, did that for a little bit. And then um, left there to start my own law firm with a friend of mine from law school. Again, thinking I'd focus on on real estate and community development. Um, and shortly after leaving there, I uh, I got approached by one of the largest developers in the Mid Atlantic about becoming their general counsel, and uh, it was a great opportunity. And so I, I did I took that, and you know I did that for about eleven years. Oh. Um, and so, so doing affordable housing, but from the private sector side. So, um, you know, there's a, most affordable housing that gets developed in the country today is done through something called the low income housing tax credit. Um, and it's very much a private sector driven uh, kind of approach to developing housing and it gets a lot of housing built. So, so anyway, I did that for about 11 years and in the process, you know, recognized, hey, I'd really like to get back to my nonprofit roots. Um, and so left in 2016 and started doing, uh, you know, re hug my shingle back out again, started doing work for, for nonprofits with the idea that, you know, ultimately I'd like to like to get back in inside of a nonprofit, maybe run one. Um, little did I know that uh, I got hired by the housing corporation to, uh, work on the refinancing of Victorian Towers back in early 2016. And a few months after, uh, or middle of 2016, a few months after I, uh, I started doing work on that particular project, the guy who was the executive director um, gave his notice and uh, moved on to Catholic Charities USA uh, to do some housing work down there. And, you know, this led to that and talking with the board and uh, we decided it was a good fit. And so, uh, so I took it on and uh, I've been here since December of 16. Um, so that's the, the long, short story, uh, or the short, long story of, uh, of how I got here. You know, so I'm, do you feel like this, oh, go ahead, Mike. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Do you feel like with this work, it kind of fills that mission oriented side of what you love, but you can still use, you know, the knowledge and expertise that, you know, you've learned and built over the years. How, how's that? Yeah, fit? yeah, no, that's exactly it. And, and to be honest with you, you know, when you're most typical jobs where you're a lawyer, right, you're an advisor. Um, you're not the, the, the principal, you're not the main actor. And, um, <laughs> And so uh, this, you know, being an executive director or developing housing, um, you know, gives me the opportunity to be much more the protagonist in my sort of job story, uh, which, I which, which I enjoy more, frankly. Um, and it's, it's fun to be an advisor, um, but it's, for me, it's, it's more fun and interesting to, you know, be the person who's, you know, charged with getting stuff done and, and making, making new projects happen. Uh, and so it kind of pushes a lot of buttons for me that, you know, traditional lawyering didn't. Um, so uh, it's, it's a very good fit. And of course, all the skills that I developed and work that I did leading up to this, you know, seamlessly kind of add to my ability to get stuff done. So it's, it's, uh, it's definitely been a, a very 
easy transition, um, you know, from, from one side to the other. And, and, and I've been on a lot of nonprofit boards over the years. And so I've stayed very close to, to the nonprofit world. Uh, and so that also, you know, that sort of avocational volunteer work that I've done um, has also, you know, I think added to my, uh, just to the skills and the experience that I bring to the table as well. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people who like dip their feet into the nonprofit world somehow just keep ending back in it in some form or another. It's like once you kind of feel that, you know, the mission part of things and you see the difference that you're making, it's probably hard to to really leave it forever. Yeah, yeah. And and again, in some, you know, for, for all the years that I was, you know, working in the private sector, um, albeit, you know, doing affordable housing, you know, the affordable, you know, the affordable housing component of it scratched an itch. Um, but, you know, we were in it for the money, um, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and kind of, you know, I wanted to get back to doing it for the love. And so, uh, you know, so, you know, during those years, you know, most avocationally, I was really involved in a couple of different organizations at Camden. Um, and that helped, you know, kind of keep me close to the, you know, kind of the mission end of things, um, albeit, you know, they were kids organizations, not housing organizations, but, uh, but still, um, you know, that I never strayed too far from that. And so, uh, so it's, it's nice to come back and get to do it, you know, as my day job. It's funny. A lot of people just picture lawyers as these dull, no offense. <laughs> kind no, no, of you, dull, you nailed it. You know. Keep going. All right. No, no. Now I sound mean, but um, you know, they're, worried about not being able to to find that kind of fulfillment that you found, but you're living proof that it is indeed possible to do both. <laughs> it's possible, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it's definitely, you know, it takes some, some, uh, some doing, um, you know, I mean, there were certain, like there were inflection points in my career where, you know, I looked at my wife and I said, you know, all right, I'm going to leave this private sector law firm job. So you're going to say, I'm going to leave you. No, no, no. But honey, like early in my career, when I was working for the big law firm, um, you know, and then I decided to go work for the state of New Jersey. I'm like, honey, I've got great news. I've got an exciting new job. I'm gonna, and I'm going to be making half the money that I was making. <laughs> you know, um, And, you know, she's been great. Um, but, but again, it's hard to, you know, you got to remember to organize your kind of financial life in such a way that you know, when you get to those inflection points, you can make those decisions, um, you know, without being trapped in a mortgage that's too big or, you know, car payments, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I feel very fortunate to have, you know, have a frugal wife, A, uh, <laughs> and, and B, uh, you know, have been able to, to make those, been in a position to make those decisions, you know, when the opportunities came along without having to worry too much about gosh, you know, uh, you know, yeah. go bankrupt in the process. You know, Mary, that's, that's actually a, a very, you know, cogent observation you made was, um, was the fact that, I mean, I, I, as someone who did something similar to what, what Jamie did several years ago, um, I've worked in three nonprofits and I've worked in four, for profits and the nonprofits have brought me the most joy. Sometimes the most frustrations as well, depending on what it was, but it was the most frustrations, not because I was dealing with the things that I would have to deal with in a for-profit agency, but because I tended to care so much for the nonprofit stuff that I was doing that I would, it would really like, 
anytime the, the diocese of the church or Catholic charities is being attacked by outside forces, you know, that's something that, and it's my job to be out there and get ahead of those things. It's, you know, I, I take those things very personally. I, I, you know, right now in the Diocese of Camden, um, you know, we announced recently that, that we closed five schools. And that was an incredibly difficult decision, one that was, in, was painful for everybody involved and that nobody wanted to do, but it was a decision that had to be made. And naturally, you know, we've been attacked and vilified for, for making the decision. People seem to forget that the, those five schools are very important. We would love to keep them open, but there are 31 other schools or 32 other schools that we have to keep open as well. And, and sometimes yeah. very difficult decisions have to be made because of that. Um, but, you know, I still wouldn't want to be anywhere else because I because I got to see just the pain and sadness on the part of the people that had to make those decisions um, and realizing how traumatic that they knew it was going to be to the other people. The fact that it wasn't some, you know, unfeeling, you know, from on high, you know, uh, in the distance, and these are people we know. These are people we've worked with for years. And in, in in this case, uh, um, Hamilton and Wildwood and Collingswood, and it, it brings us great pain. And I and when I worked in the for profit area, you know, I I did uh, I, I was a PR guy for law firms, and uh, you know, it was my job to write the articles on how to break how to break strikes and how to break unions. And uh, I can't say that I found that to be uh, fulfilling to my you know Jesuit trained soul. <laughs> so. <laughs> So if I had to choose between the two, I'd rather go into battle do, working for nonprofits. And, and I actually recommend it. If you are a person who has a heart uh, and, and really wants to throw yourself into the things you believe, feel free to take the pay cut and, and work in the nonprofit world. Uh, for one thing, uh, if you have skill sets, uh, you'll use all of them and they will be maximized to their fullest and you will learn twice as many more because there's just not a lot of people in nonprofit world. And so we have to learn how to do many things, as you know, correct, Ms. McCusker? You've I was learned- about to say, a yeah, classic example, me being dragged on as a podcast co-host is not <laughs> anything that was written in my potential <laughs> job description, but here I am. <laughs> That's right. So, so I, you know, if people are listening now and, and hearing, you know, I, I always like to have this conversation because it means a lot to me because, you know, it, it's the, the best decision I ever made, even though it was financially, you know, yeah. I, and I, you and I have talked about this a couple of times, Mary, you know, off offline where I, I wouldn't go back in like it was it required no thought at all when when this position came available, even though I knew I was going to be taking a pay cut because I knew I was going to be working on the side of the angels. And, you know, there's something very fulfilling about that. You know, every time, any day, I've said this before on the podcast, anytime that I have a bad day, all I need to do is go over to Catholic Charities because I'll see all the great work that's being done there. And we'll see Jamie's smiling face as he runs out to a meeting somewhere because I've never actually seen him in his office. I've seen him leaving his office. I've never actually seen him in his office because he's always running to a meeting. (laughs) Well, Jamie's very tall and so am I. I'm 5'11", Jamie, you're what, six something? yeah. My point is, I can always see directly. He's one of the only people who I can make direct eye contact <laughs> across the building. <laughs> That's right, because well, the, the field, the, the the sea of the sea of cubicles is, uh, yeah. you know, is too tall for most people. But Mary and I, you know, we just <laughs> pop our heads up. Yo! Yep. <laughs> Which is a good thing, but a bad thing if you're trying to hide from somebody. But That's I'm true. not never trying to hide from you, Jamie. <laughs> oh. 
the, um, well, thank God for that, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, we we talked a lot about Victorian towers, and we mentioned a couple of the other uh, towns that these are in. But what's what's the name of the most recent tower that was built, or most recent uh, building? It, uh, so yeah, it's a sixty-eight units a year building in Pensac, and it's called Stonegate at Saint Stephen Phase Two. Um, it's a mouthful, right? But yeah. we have Stonegate One, and so it's on the same campus. Uh, so it's it's nice. It's a you know the St. Stephen campus um, was already host to a uh, 75 unit senior building that we've operated for about 13, 14 years, um, and um, so we had the opportunity to um, redevelop another portion of that site. Um, There's an old convent that had fallen into disuse, and there was a good good sized chunk of land around it. Um, and so we were able to take that down and, uh, and, you know, put up a really nice, uh, nice senior building and, um, yeah, demand was really strong for it. So we're fully leased up. Um, uh, we've only been, you know, we've only, we just opened in February. So, um, it's, you know, the units kind of flew off the shelf, uh, and we're, we're really lucky about that. Um, so yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that's our latest one, and uh, it's a really lovely building. We were very fortunate to be able to you know, have some really nice amenities. Um, you know, we were able to even include like a solar array on the roof to help offset some of the electric costs. Uh, so uh, it's a and it's a pretty it's a pretty green building. Uh, the, the the different financing programs for affordable housing now have some pretty strong, uh, you know green building requirements. And uh, so this building in particular uh, will, will end up being what's called LEED um, certified. And uh, there's multiple levels of LEED, but this should, this should be LEED gold, uh, which is a, a pretty nice, uh, pretty nice accomplishment. Um, yeah. And uh, should mean that the residents utility bills are really, really low because the, the building is really well insulated and really well sealed um, and has very high efficiency systems all over. So. And, and what's and I, the what's the process for um, for inquiring about you know the availability of of uh, units in terms of um, so so right so we have um, a leasing you know operation that uh, that uh, will hit field inquiries um, now you're you're really putting me on the spot now because I have to remember what the number is just keep uh, talking it'll I, come to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. So, so, so the um, the number for the building is eight five six three four two seven one five five. Well done. Um, and that would get you access to our managers, uh, Dawn and Margie, um, and who are fantastic, um, and uh, they can help provide additional information. Um, we have two different types of units in the building, uh, and, and now that we're full, you know, we, we've got waiting lists, but you know. What I tell anyone who's a senior uh, who could potentially qualify for this kind of building is get on a waiting list, get on multiple waiting lists because, you know, you may not need it now, but, you know, if the waiting list is two or three years long, two or three years from now, you may get that call and say, hey, you know, your, um, your, your, your number's up, um, you know, are you ready to, to, to make the jump? And um, oftentimes that's given a senior enough time to sort of, wrap their heads around, you know, hey, you know, it's time for me to downsize. Um, you know, typically in, in Camden County, maximum income for a person in one of our buildings, because we're, we're, we're in one of these government programs, is anywhere from, you know, 30 to 38, 
um, depending on the nature of the program and the building, the specific program at each building. Um, but for a lot of seniors, that's right in the sweet spot, right? Because, you know, they're getting $1,500 a month, maybe from social security, and maybe they have a small pension from somewhere else. And, you know, they're, you know, maybe, maybe they're, they're making, you know, 20, 22, $25,000 a year. Um, you know, that can be a really good fit for them. Um, some of our buildings also, a good number of our buildings have, have rent subsidies that come with them. So for, for anyone who's uh, coming into that situation, you'll, you would only ever pay 30% of your income as rent. Um, and that's a fantastic weight off of your shoulders, you know, if you're a senior, especially if you're someone in your, say, early 60s, you're still working um, and you're worried, gosh, is Social Security going to be enough for me if I stop working? Well, if you get into a building that, you know, has this, you know, uh, a rent subsidy, what that does is it gives you the flexibility to decide to stop working because if your income drops, your rent drops. Um, And that's a really, that's a godsend, especially for people who work in, you know, physical and physical labor. Um, Hang on for one second, folks. We've got some, uh, some background <laughs> no it's okay it's like uh, if there's one thing we've all gotten used to in quarantineville it's the fact that uh that there'll always be a, the sound of a kid going by a printer going off my dog barking your dog barking I am- uh, thank, thank you guys for covering me while i hit mute um <laughs> <laughs> that's okay we're the actually we're almost at the end we only have like uh we only have like three minutes left to go so i was saying uh before i was so rudely interrupted by my children <laughs> that uh, <laughs> that the um having having that rent subsidy is a great thing because it really does give seniors flexibility um to be able to you know change their economic circumstances and not have housing disruption um, as a result of it. And so, um, you know, I feel really good about being able to offer that uh, to the vast majority of people who who live in, in, in our, in our buildings. Yeah. And for our listeners, I'll have the website address uh, in our um, in, in the info about the the episode today. Uh, do you happen to recall what the name, what the what the URL address is for the? Uh... It's very easy. It's just housing.camdendiocese.org. Very easy. All right, <laughs> Jamie, thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Mary, thank you very much for setting this up. And to our listeners, thank you all for listening. And we'll be back next week.